Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of How to Write the Future podcast. I'm your host, Beth Barani, a novelist and writing teacher. And this is a podcast for people who want to create positive and optimistic futures, because I believe that what we vision, we help make so. So our visioning happens on the page as writers. Today, I have a special guest for me. We're doing a story success clinic. And in a moment, I'm going to introduce my guest and just want to invite you if you're interested in having a page of your work critiqued and we get to talk about topics that science fiction and fantasy writers face, go ahead and sign up for a story success clinic. So with me here today is Amy Johnson. Amy, please tell us a little bit about yourself and then I I will say a little bit about how I met you. So yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I've been on the path of writing for only two years. Before that, I was a psychiatrist, which of course is all about people's stories and things that might come in handy with writing. And I was also very interested in field biology as a young person. So I wanted to somehow combine what I know about ecology, field biology, and people with writing to help illustrate a better future than what we have now. This piece of writing is set in a in a field biology station that I actually attended in the 70s. And it was a great time, a wonderful experience. And I wanted to start writing about like what would have happened if I'd chosen that path instead of going into medicine. So that's how it came up with the idea. Wow, that is so cool. So for a little bit of context, Amy and I met through this fabulous course that we took last year called Throughtopia that was run by Amanda Scott, who has a fabulous podcast called Accidental Gods. And through Amanda's group and the Throughtopian classes, there grew an offshoot of writers, and we call ourselves Throughtopian writers and Earth writers, I believe the other name. And so now we're an active group of writers who meet on Zoom on a regular basis and we help each other. So that's how Amy and I met. And then Amy, you came to my work because of my world building workbook, which is a a free workbook that people can sign up for at howtowritethefuture.com. And you sent me in a question, which I just thought was so wonderful and sparked a conversation, which led to you signing up for the Story Success Clinic. So I'm going to read your question, and then you can tell me if you want to change anything or add anything. So you're telling me that your biggest challenge as a future world builder is how to describe a better world without being preachy or didactic. Uh, And then another one, another challenge that you're having is how to evoke feeling through and for characters. Is that right? Is there anything that you would like to add to that? No, those are still questions in my mind. So those would be good ones. Excellent. Excellent. So we're going to focus on definitely the first one, which is how to describe a better world without being preachy or didactic. And then the second one, which we'll address is how to evoke feeling through and for characters. Great. So what I'm going to do is for those of you listening, we're going to be working on Amy's document and I'll be reading it read a segment of it, probably about 500 words. And then together, we're going to talk about it. And I'm going to give Amy critique on those two things and possibly some other things that pop out. So are you ready, Amy? Yep, ready. All right. And for some setting, so the title of your work is Deep Lake Station, and it takes place in the future, right? What year is the story taking place? I think roughly 15 years into the future. Great. So we're talking 35, something like that? Something like that. I haven't quite got that down yet with all the details. 
Yeah, cool. Great. Well, I will do my best to read the first 500 words. And I am not a professional voiceover actor. So bear with me, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And I will do my best. All right. Oh, and how do I pronounce your protagonist's name? Is it Keisha? Kezia. Kezia. Great. Thank you. All right. Deep Lake Station, Chapter One. It was a gray dawn thunderstorm with the sky crashing and sparking. And now the steady sound of raindrops rolling down millions of thirsty leaves. It was a comfort, promising new growth for all living beings on the mountain. Kezia Wells had spent many childhood summers in this cabin and loved listening to the song of drips drumming the metal roof nestled in her blue down sleeping bag. She imagined mosses releasing their flagellated spores, which would swim through rivers of droplets to find a mate. Fungi were the most fascinating to her, with their colorful, fruiting bodies springing up from nowhere to release spores and mixed genes. The wares and whys of it were what Kezia wanted to, and had led her to a career as a field mycologist. Why do some prefer rotting wood and others need a south-facing deep leaf mold? How do they signal that it's time to send up their delicious fruit? How do they know when there's just enough rain? Her parents had been mycologists too, studying tree and mycelial communication before the Hyperion fire in Washington, where they were trapped in their cabin and perished. The thought of their last moments in a wall of smoke was too much, and Kezia again wanted to scream, why? She was alone in the world now, except for her family of scientists and, of course, the living, breathing forest around her. At 30, she had become known for her work with mycelial communication and had an adopted family of colleagues. Occasionally, she met someone who was a more romantic interest, but so far she had not been able to get past the fear of losing someone she loved. At least she had her friends in the community of plant nerds, like a beacon in her heart. The sense of belonging had led her back to the motherly embrace of Deep Lake Biological Field Station atop the ancient Blue Ridge. It felt like home. So I'm going to actually stop here because it's Mm -hmm. um, a nice organic stopping place. So that's two paragraphs. And I want to start with something that I really appreciate about your opening, which is that we are in a, a very clear setting. I know exactly pretty clearly where I am. And I have some visuals of the gray dawn's thunderstorm crashing and sparking. I have the auditory. You do very well with your auditory. You've got crashing, steady sound of raindrops. You've got this great picture rolling down millions of thirsty leaves. That's beautiful. And right away, we also have some emotion around comfort and your mention of mosses and spores and mushrooms is all very evocative. I know exactly where I am. And then you also tell us that she's atop the ancient Blue Ridge, which I'm assuming is the Blue Ridge Mountains. Is that right? Right. Yes. So I think you have a lot of details for setting that is just so kinesthetic, earthy, physical, and you're using sound and you're using sight. You have the allusion to smell. You have rotting wood, delicious fruit. So now you're also using smell and taste, the other main senses. And then you have this beautiful nestled in her blue down sleeping bag, which is like this whole body feeling. So I want to say that these are really lovely and great elements to have for setting. And then the biggest question I have as I read this is what is the story? 
I'm not really sure. We get her mental, her fascination. Fungi were the most fascinating to her. We get that. But I don't really know why I'm reading. And that is a story expectation. Readers want to know, we know where we are. You've done a great job with setting. We have a little bit about Kezia. We know about her past. We know in the second paragraph that she's here for, we don't know exactly what, to work. She's here to work, we think. I wish we could be in the present of the morning a little bit more because you tell us it's a gray dawn thunderstorm. And then I want to hear more about the present moment versus the past because we have about her many childhood summers, but then you bring us back into the present. And actually I would probably, so yeah, here's where I'm going to get kind of granular. And this is how I edit sometimes. It's like, The words on the page are the only thing we have to clue us in, you know, to what's going on. Mm -hmm. This puts us what's called the past in the past, Kezia's past as a child. And I'm assuming loved listening to the song of Drips drumming on the metal roof is also from the past. As I read the rest of the sentence, I thought, oh, maybe we're in the present of the story. Do you know what I mean? Is, is, Is loved listening to the song of the drips drumming the metal roof. Is that her present time moment or is that? Yeah, that's that the present. Okay. So there's a few ways you could play with that, which is you could just tell us that that's what she's hearing so that we know that we could say something like, I hope you don't mind if I edit your work. Not here. at all. That's um, why I'm here. Yeah. You could just say <laughs> she listened. Now we, she listened to the song of drips drumming the metal roof. and and nestled in her blue down sleeping bag. So now we're still in the present moment with her. And it's very hypnotic, this opening. It's very lovely. And then you might want to, I would love to know this sense of homecoming right away, because she is in a place that she spent her childhood in, right? You have the childhood summers in this cabin, but you can still tell us in the present. So, So one way to do this, and this is just the first draft, everybody listening. (laughs) <laughs> first drafts are just like okay let's see what it could be i might say something like kiza wells was in the cabin i'm just playing here something like kiza wells was in the cabin of many childhood summers and then you can just tell us in the moment her experience of it like she loved being back here something like that so what i'm doing is i'm not giving us backstory we're imagining we're in her head in the moment and we're doing a little bit of what's called telling this is awkward i know it's not perfect but we're we're telling the reader that she's in a place that was her, that has very, very fond memories. So any questions so far? No, I, I see okay. what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Um, and now I want to know why she's here and was she coming here to work? Yes. She's coming there to work in her field of mycelial communication. Was she hired? Did they call her? Yes. Okay. They hired her and she's done well in her career and she's well known and they want her to come there and work in the lab. Okay. But she's also here to heal. That's right. Yeah. And that brings us to the goal, her goal of the story. As we meet her here, is her only goal like, yes, I'm working, but I'm also here because I hope to find some healing for my grief or like, how would she, as we meet her in this moment, how would she express her goal for her life in this moment? 
Well, I think she loves her work and she wants to continue that. And she knows this place. So when she gets the offer to work there, she wants to go and work. But clearly she's very traumatized and doesn't know where she's going and what she wants to do next. And I think in the context of her healing is going to be a a more healing community as well that I want to illustrate, like how people could live together, you know, kind of equitably and with just a better system and also work the land and mm-hmm. have a more, you know, simple life, more mm-hmm. ecologically simple life. Yeah. And where does she come from? Was she most recently in a city? Was she most recently in kind of a competitive environment? Yeah, I was going to, I think I was going to have her in a university setting out West in Washington state and being tired of that and, and all the intrigue and drama. Nice. So like the politics of being in a university and um, yeah, great. Okay. So the bones I would start with, and then we can add in some more detail is something like this, like at least here she could work and feel maybe not safe is the right word and, and relax into her community of colleagues, or you could say of, let's just say colleagues right now. So this is generic. I, I'm going to say a little bit more specifically, but here now we maybe work in peace. I don't know if like her work previously was constantly having to be interrupted by, I don't know, publish, 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 yeah. publish you know, the pressures, yeah. the pressures. <laughs> publish or perish. Yeah. Right. Right. So we're hinting, the sentence isn't perfect yet, but we're hinting at her goal now. Like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, at mm-hmm. least here I can relax. So now she is a, a field mycologist, right? Right. So I would use that as a field mycologist, the pressure to publish and perish. And here's where you can kind of indicate some backstory. You could actually keep it in the moment like that constant stress of, was she a professor? Yeah, she's like a, would be a a junior professor or adjunct, I guess they would Mm -hmm. call it. So, you know, I could imagine someone thinking this, lying in her sleeping bag, nestled in her sleeping bag and just grateful. You know, mm-hmm. that she's she's back in a place where she loves and she can no longer have to deal with the stress of that city life, the university life. Before we get into the questions and issues, all this information, I just want to jump down to the talking about the mosses and the fungi, fungi. <laughs> These are wonderful questions. And I'm wondering, is it totally within her personality to be thinking about all of this while she's lying in her sleeping bag? Maybe not at that time of day, <laughs> maybe later when right. she goes to the lab. Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, I think she'll go and have breakfast and meet some people and then she'll go up to the lab and then she can kind of spout off all her questions. Mm-hmm. I like that. Questions. So for you and for others listening and watching, these kind of details that take us out of the moment, really, we want to save them for when they're using them. <laughs> so like use in the, I guess my note would be like use in the necessary moment that it makes okay. sense in, in the story. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's great detail and it's fun, nerdy, you know, stuff that's about her work. And one of the reasons why people read is to go into a new world. So you are introducing the reader if they don't already know anything about fungi and and moss and and I know just the cursory amount they get to learn about it and and that's very fun very very fun so I want to address this issue about her parents again is this something that she would ref- 
reflect on while she's lying there all cozy in her sleeping bag? Would she think about her parents and be sad? Oh, I think it might intrude into the moment at, at times. But yeah, I'm seeing what you're saying. There's a little too much there as far as detail on it. And it might be better to make it, you know, briefly, she thought about her parents, but now is, you know, now is not a good time to to go there sort of thing. I see. So she could be thinking about them, but then push the idea out of her head. Yeah. Okay. And let's make it more emotional. What is something she might actually be thinking as she's lying there listening to the rain? As an example, something like, mom and dad, I wish you were here. Something that signifies her loss and her direct emotional thinking. Yeah. It's like the the cabin would seem so empty without mom and dad. Oh, that's great. Um, um, fussing around about the proper clothing or the mouse in the drawer, or something like that. Maybe some more details like getting ready for the day, wearing, what were they wearing? Just inappropriately light clothing or something? Yeah, yeah. Wearing uh, right coat and there were, you know, mice in the cabin and there were spiders, things like that. What do the mice and the spiders have to do with her parents? Nothing at this okay. point. Okay. <laughs> it's something they might be talking about like, oh, there's that. So maybe they're complaining, right? When people are gone, yeah. we miss even those things that used to irritate yeah. us. We yeah. miss like complaining about the mice. In the sock drawer or something like that. In the sock drawer. Oh, that's cute. So this um, brings us, it's like she's replaying that memory in her mind. Yeah. The cabin seems so empty without mom and dad fussing about getting ready for the day, wearing only, I don't know, wearing only light bathrobes or did you say coats or what? What to wear, like only wearing the right clothing. For the rain or something like that. I don't know. Oh, how about if today, what to wear? Fussing about getting ready for the day and what to wear. Like that was part of like the fussing. What to wear. How about be more specific, like what to wear for the rain? Yeah. For the constant rain, I would imagine. Yeah. Is it because they're really high in the mountains? Yeah, they are. <laughs> and here we can actually get specific and tell readers where we are and complaining about the mice. Okay. The cabin yeah, seems... Re- yeah. Yes. Let me read it out loud. The cabin seems so empty without mom and dad fussing about getting ready for the day and what to wear for the constant rain so high in the Blue Ridge Mountains and complaining about the mice in the sock drawer again. And then here you can add her own emotional response to the memory. Like, what is her body doing? Is she tearing up? Is she angry? Is she both? (laughs) You know, and how can we show that through a physical experience in her body? Yeah. She felt she felt a physical pain in her throat wanting to cry. So does she cry or can she not cry? I don't think she can cry yet. I think she's kind mm-hmm. of in the kind of numb phase of things. Mm-hmm. So here, instead of telling, and this is kind of an advanced tool to be a deep point of view, is that we don't want to say she felt or she thought, but we could just show by saying there was. And that's one way to do it. There was is not the most elegant term, but this keeps us in her point of view because we don't go around thinking I'm thinking I'm feeling right we just think and we just feel so by going direct to the pain so there was a physical pain in her throat and she wanted to cry but she couldn't cry yet and now we are starting to get a sense of real loss I don't know about you but that kind of makes me tear up yeah I'm like like oh it, it was recent without telling the reader we get a sense that that some loss and it's implied we're not even telling the readers yet that she lost her parents in a fire it's implied that's better yeah i like that yeah so 
And then now what, what does someone like her do when she gets to that emotion of the physical pain in her throat, wanting to cry, but you know, she couldn't cry yet. There's sort of this pushing away, right? There's sort of some, some energy in her that is like, no, for whatever reason, right? It's below conscious level. And so what is the next logical thing that she does? Does she get up? Does she go to breakfast? Yeah, she gets up and she gets busy. Yes, yes, (laughs) exactly. And she's kind of like, I thought maybe I could have described her looking in the in the mirror and running her hand through her mop of hair and put her clothes on, go to the... You don't have to do that. I yeah. mean, you could do, you could jump, I'm jumping to page two, is the dinner bell. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so I would just jump right here into action. Like the dinner okay. bell rings, right? And you have her, I'm just going to read this for the reader, for the listener. The station dinner bell was clanging and she stretched, putting on her sweats and old converse and walking towards the dining hall. And then you give us some more details. But this is where I would jump to next. Okay. Um, that makes um, That's good. I like that. And just get get us into action. Um, and then now we're starting to be invested. I want to read the rest of this paragraph because this starts to give us some background. The pandemic had continued off and on for several years after millions died. So it was a relief to be able to enter the low-slung building and not worry about getting sick. Everyone here was vaccinated and tested weekly, as scientists will do. New people had to come with two negative tests before entering the station. The building also caught the westerly breeze through both sets of windows. I think you may be able to do this this early in the story because it's like, this is what's top of mind for her. And I believe it. In a further rewrite, I might examine that a little bit more closely. Like, hmm, is this really the right place to explain this little piece of backstory. But it works if you believe that, okay, we we know she's a scientist and she would be thinking about these things Mm -hmm. like we all have done. So I want to pause here and see if what we've done so far is helpful to you in addressing your two main concerns around making sure the background, the world is not too didactic and also adding emotion to the character. Yeah, I think, yeah, I I did. I I see I have way too much background in there. It's stuff I want to talk about, but it's not the time. So I like the action suggestions, like get her moving, get her into action, meet some people, get along with the story and let things kind of hint and unfold as they will. Yeah, yeah. And I want to say that for you and anyone else, like in your first drafts, it's normal to like front load with all that backstory because it's partly as the writer, you want to know what it is. You're like, oh, this is important. We need to understand the background, the setting, the, the reasons why. And, and and it's in revisions that that then you can make all the decisions about put things somewhere else. So great. Okay, that's good. And I want to say that I really enjoyed your second character that you started to introduce. And I feel like you are creating something really interesting. I know later in the story, not much later, she goes into the dining room and she starts having conversations. And that dialogue and having people interact with people is the a great way to start sharing what the world is because she's new to the location and she gets to be our vehicle as the outsider to explain okay. many things as like, this is how we do things here kind of thing. Okay, great. Right. Very, ha- very helpful. Oh, I'm so glad, Amy. I can't wait to see what you do with this and how you develop it into a full story and um, maybe come back again and we could okay. do another pass on some new piece and um, you can share also with us your progress and how the story evolves. And yeah, so thank you so much for being a guest mm-hmm. with us today. 
My pleasure. And thank you. You're so positive and uh, I, I feel I feel very supported. So I appreciate it. Oh, I'm so glad. And if people want to follow your progress, is there a way that they can stay in touch or are you not yet ready to come out with your work or I'm not yet ready. Okay, that's (laughs) totally fine. I I plan to start thinking about that soon and I'll let you know. That sounds good. All right. Um, Well, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. All right. Take care. So good to see you. Bye. Bye bye. If you, listener, have a question for me about editing your science fiction and fantasy novel, let me know. I would love to answer it in a future episode. Or, come on the show and be a guest. We spend 30 minutes looking at your work or talking about your creative mindset. I will absolutely look at a paragraph or two and we could do some live edits and we can talk about world building and we can talk about how do we mix pacing with setting with character development. It's a 30-minute story success clinic. Every session is recorded and gets aired as an episode of How to Write the Future podcast. You get more exposure for yourself as a writer. I get to help more writers. It is a win-win situation. All right, everyone, that's it for now. So write long and prosper. Bye.